What's up, everybody? You are listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. And for tonight's episode, we're going to be joined by Braden Turner of the Ain't No Seeds podcast on the Kansas City Sports Network to help us preview the Sunflower Showdown presented by Dylan's. I'm your commissioner, Bob Trollsby. And as always, we are rounding it out with the trio of the good chef, Andre Napier and Fireball Matt Marchesini. Chef, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing my good, my friend, Bob um, a robot. <laughs> All right, is this is this because you're watching uh, watching the cats on uh, Discord or Twitch it's a or little, whatever? It's a little glitchy. I work for Flow Sports. <laughs> Fireball Matt, how are we doing tonight, brother? You know, I'm all right. This morning was a struggle. Not feeling too great, but again, love talking cats. It's going to make me feel a lot better uh, here tonight. Yeah, it's going around, boy. We'll you, I'm hurting too, buddy. I suck. We'll give you some of that medicine. I think I think everybody needs it. And we we got some of that uh, with that West Virginia game last Saturday. Uh, we witnessed the Cats defeat the Mountaineers in Morgantown by a very secure 48-31. to 31. Um, 79 points scored in the game, and 66 of those were in the first half, and 28 of the Cats' points were in the first quarter. So it was a it was a very wild game. I was listening to Stan and Wyatt, you know, driving down to Arizona, which is where I'm at right now for Thanksgiving, and it was just wild following along uh, with that game over the radio. But but what are what are y'all's thoughts on that game, that shootout that we saw in Morgantown, and and knowing that we put up that many points and I think only scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and that was all the points we scored in the second half. Yeah, I I thought it was a well all around a a solid performance. Um, you know, I the, that first quarter and I mean into that first half, I I did not expect the offensive kind of offensive flow to be like that on both teams, right? Um, I thought defensively we were going to be able to make some more stops, but um you know West Virginia West Virginia had some things going for him which was good um you know good for them but offensively we looked very solid and Will Howard had I think a good a good performance albeit the one pass that he had for the pick six was not a great decision he took that and you know kind of left that in the dust and and really played well especially on the road in a place that we haven't won in the recent past. Um, and at the end of the day to take a, a 48 31 win on the road, I don't think we have too much to complain about, right? You know, a 17 point wins a 17 point win. No doubt. I mean, that game seems like it's so long ago, dude. I'm not even going to lie. It seems like it's been an eternity. And just thinking back on the game, I've only had one rewatch of it and, Man, I mean, just the fast start that we came out, we had a complete drive on our first drive. Deuce gets in the end zone. And then we come back and Sincere Mason gets the pick six and we're up 14 nothing. And at that time, you're thinking, man, we're going to run away with this thing for real. And to give West Virginia credit, they stayed in the fight. They battled. Their quarterback – He's no joke. I mean, that kid can he, – he proved me wrong. I have to give him a lot of credit because I was shitting on that kid. I thought he was going to be terrible, 
and he was slinging it. And I will say that that is part of it, why the game was the way it was. I think we didn't give him the credit and we didn't game plan accordingly for him. We thought he was going to run a lot more and he, he tried to run a little bit, but we shut that down. But his arm was a little liver than we thought. Sincere Mason going out earlier than we thought hurt a little bit. So just the flow of that was not having the adjustments. And it reminds me of the Texas game. Like if West Virginia was a little bit more talented and they had a little bit more defense, we could have been, it could have been eerily similar to the Texas game where we did Steve Sarkeesian had that week to prepare and he put it on us in that first half because we didn't know what we were doing because we were just running base defense basically. And Julius Brintz admitted to that, that they were basically just running base defense for when Garrett Green went in the game. And, you know, it kind of the flow that just went like that. But once we put the, the adjustments in, it all evened out and the game really went the way it should. Absolutely. I think first off, just to, to round out some of the stats and, and what we saw at quarterback, Bill Butcher, he was 19 for 27 with 294 yards and two passing touchdowns on the day. He combined that also with a rushing touchdown. And he, he did unfortunately give up that pick six on uh, the second K-State possession, but he has a 170.5 passer rating on the year so far, which it's a small sample size, but that would put him ahead of the likes of Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud. And I think he's really only behind Max Duggan as far as uh, some of the better quarterbacks out there from a passer rating perspective. So he continues to complement Klein's situational play calling super well. He's finding guys open. He's even throwing it to guys that aren't open. And Ben Sinnott is catching these incredible you know, passes from Will Howard where he's threading the needle into coverage and taking risks. Um, I, I mean, it's just we're, we're seeing him play at an incredible level. This is the best we've we've seen Will Howard. This is the best version of him um, that we've seen in the last three years. And and I'm really enjoying everything that I'm seeing from from. Yeah. And, and to echo this, the play calling um, and, and getting Will Howard comfortable in the position, I think ultimately that's the goal you want to have early on in the game to where he's able to manage the game effectively and take some risks, as you said, you know, threading the needle and making some really good passes and letting our wide receivers do their job and, and making plays, catching the football. I am excited for this weekend because we think of the two, you know, this was a full game, of course, the West Virginia game, you know, being on the road, having him play. We know this full game at home, an amazing environment. I'm really excited to see how maybe what kind of risks our offense will take against KU this weekend, you know, and is Will going to have, you know, a 300 yard passing game again, maybe who knows, but um, he's just been really special these past few games and 2023 is going to be super exciting. I mean, last time he was in the bill as a starting quarterback, it was Oklahoma state. We 48 blanked them. So can he repeat that performance? I think the game plan from every one of his 
times that and opportunities he's had to play, the style of offense hasn't changed. It's it's him taking those shots, like you said, throwing in the tight windows, giving Ben Sennett a chance to go up and high and get in it, putting it in uh, positions for Malik Knowles to catch it and make a move and run. Uh, Malik Knowles has looked so good with Will Howard at quarterback, and he's making all, all our weapons explosive and, and putting it in places where they can really show their talents. And whether it's Deuce in the uh, catching it in the backfield like Baylor or this game where we're throwing it up the seams and deep curl routes to Malik Knowles and Ben Sennett. I mean, he the offensive playbook is wide open for him. And going versus KU, I think we're going to see a similar similar style of that we're not going to have to change. We're just going to keep get, letting Will Howard be the offense offense aficionado that he's been in his basically five games playing this season. Well, and and you kind of alluded to it. I think Kleiman mentioned it in his press conference this week, but being able to have guys like Ben Sinnott and Malik Knowles doing what they're doing right now. It's, it's, and it's frankly, it's opening up a lot of guys on the offense. We're able to spread the ball around. Malik had his third hundred plus yard receiving effort so far this season. Um, He had 111 yards and a touchdown. Sinnott had 85 yards and a touchdown on just three catches. So uh, chef, I think you had something to say with the uh, getting those chunky plays, getting chunky with it. I mean, we, we definitely saw that that was your key to D last week. And that's definitely something that we saw. Um, because we also saw it on the running back side of it uh, with with DJ Giddens leading the day with 78 total yards uh, on 12 carries and a touchdown, and then Deuce with 22 carries on on with 67 yards and a touchdown. The the running game, I don't even know how to describe it because Giddens was that explosive home run hitter, but I mean it really was tough sledding for him, other than that big run once we start once we stopped in in the normal offense once we started with the jumbo package with Andrew Lyngan coming in DJ really started to put his shoulder pads down and started pushing those piles but Deuce man when he got loose on that first that first run for the touchdown I was like man he's gonna eat but it was just the style that he was that we're accustomed to seeing I mean he breaks people down in the holes and makes people miss but you know, it looks a little tough when he gets in the hole and he tries to juke somebody and they're they're ready to break down and there are multiple people there. It's hard for him to get those yards because he's so small. And I mean, he's strong, but if he's not making you miss, it's it's tough sledding for him. But I really thought that he could just really just hit those holes and use that speed to get around those guys. But, you know, he he played. He did he did a good job. He wasn't much of a receiving threat this game, but all in all, the running game served its purpose, keeping those safeties back. I mean, keeping those safeties up a little bit and allowing Ben Sennett to get behind him, Malik Knowles to have one-on-one coverage. So I think the offense is so balanced right now. It's just a it's beautiful to watch. Yeah, and and just to add really quick, um, you know, we've come accustomed to really strong rushing performances on a game to game basis, you know, getting 200 total rushing yards pretty consistently through the season. And, you know, this is one where it it was comfortable enough to where we didn't have to run, you know, 
too, too much. Um, I obviously am more of a guy that I love seeing Deuce get his carries. Um, but he has struggled sometimes with, you know, getting through some of the holes um, on the offensive line. And, you know, we, we saw that a little bit on Saturday. Um, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I don't believe it's going to be something that we're going to have to worry about too, too much this upcoming weekend. Um, in this upcoming game, uh, who knows, but I, I think the wide receiver and tight end situation and having that balanced offense has really been nice because will in the way that he's able to get some open plays, um, and find some of these receivers, we're not having to rely 70% of our offense on the run game. Yeah. He's, he's got options. He has weapons. I think that's, that's the biggest benefit is he's not, you know, having to shoehorn himself into dumping it off to deuce or, um, trying to throw the deep ball, but none of the guys are open. So it's been, it's been nice to have that balanced attack on offense. Let's move over to the defense real quick. So it really was a tale of two halves because the, the defense looked a lot leakier in the first half, but at the same time we had the pick six. So it was a very interesting two halves of football from the defensive side, because in that second half, I think we only gave up six total points uh, to West Virginia. So it was a really, really wild game across the board. Um, I guess just real quick going through some of the defensive uh, position groups. Uh, let's start with the defensive line. Brandon Mott, he was, I think, Big 12 defensive player of the week this week. He led the day with eight tackles and three tackles for a loss, three total sacks. This was a huge game for Mott. He's flown a little bit under the radar to a degree this season, but he's has a combined six sacks on the season. Now he helped pull the cats into first place in the conference in total sacks with 26 on the season through 11 games. And Mott himself is in fifth in sacks in the conference now, while Felix leads the conference with seven and a half sacks. Um, Any, any takeaways for Mott and his special performance or just the defensive line in general? Oh, I'll go, you know, I'm a D-line guy. I, I love the trenches, O-line, D-line. Man, I mean, Felix was wreaking havoc, and I really think that benefited Mott. You know, Mott, he's really took that role of where we thought Nate Matlack was going to be this year. Matlack, he hasn't regressed. He's just He took that injury early, and he just hasn't been physically the same. And Mott, He's quick. He's explosive. He's long. If you look at his arms, they're ridiculous. And he's he's really benefited from having Felix and Duke on those pass rushes where he's one-on-one and he can really clean up when quarterbacks step up in the pocket. And that's a lot of what happened. Uh, Green was trying to escape on a couple plays and, you know, Mott kind of just accepted it and took it in and brought him down. Mott had a great game. He's what is he? Six and a half sacks. You said he's, he's got know, six total, six total on the season right now. Six, yeah. six sacks. You know, that's, I mean, if we would have said that about Nate Matlack or anybody really on the D line, we're, we're praising it. We're jumping for joy. And this is his first, first year playing really. And what did Felix do his first year? I mean, it wasn't this. So what can we expect for him? In the future, it, the ceiling's the roof, as they say. So the D-line's doing what they're doing. Huggins, we missed um, hints this game, but Uso stepped up and spelled Huggins. And it was it was just a good, solid defensive line performance. 
you brought up Nate Matlack, and I was ex- going to say the same damn thing. Um, you know, Brennan Mott is what I pictured Nate Matlack was going to be this season. Um, and obviously with Nate's injuries and, and what he's been going through, yeah, we're definitely excited to see what he's going to be able to do next season. But, you know, the defensive line for we've always known has been our strong suit and the, the anchor of it is Felix Anadike and Brennan Mott is just the, the cherry on top of this Sunday for us. And, um, at the end of the day, it, when we get pressure to the quarterback and we make the quarterback have to make tough decisions, it has worked out in our favor defensively for most of the games this season. And this was yet another example of that. Um, and and played, they all played really well. Totally agree. I think last off, we've got linebackers and DBs. So on the on the linebacker side, we've got Daniel Green. He had seven tackles. We had Austin Moore with five tackles in a TFL. And then Austin Moore uh, leads the team in tackles overall with 74 total tackles. So he continued to, to add to his total tackling effort for the season that I think has been really solid. And then and then last off, let's just go ahead and move into uh, DBs. But Sincere Mason, unfortunately, he ended up leaving the game. We found out after the game that he's out for the rest of the season, unfortunately. But he had that massive pick six on the first West Virginia possession of the game. He brought it back 37 yards and put the Cats up 14-0 early in the game. Um, like I said, unfortunately, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And knowing that, you know, we've got – we had Dayon in the – Dayon Savage in the live room as well just, just shortly a couple minutes ago. But so he kind of joins Kobe Savage as, as – one of the guys that's hurt and, and out for the rest of the season. So this DB room is looking fairly depleted, but you know, we are leading the big 12 in total interceptions and those guys have, have stepped up. It doesn't matter who, whether it's first string, second string, third string, you know, walk-ons, we're seeing guys who are stepping up and, and filling that void in a position group that I think before the season had a lot of question marks, but has proven to be one of, if not the best position groups that we're, that we even have this year. So um, tell me about what your takeaways are for, uh, for the DB side and and then just the defense in general. Uh, You know, I'll start. I, sincere Mason is a huge loss, especially with Kobe Savage being out there, you know, for the rest of the season. Josh Hayes did not have a great game. Um, you know, there were definitely some plays where he was very much out of position. Um, and the safety position is a concerning one for me at this point. You know, uh, if we have teams that are going to be trying to be aggressive and and making big pass plays, you know, we have to be better in that area. Um, that being said, I mean, the, the theme this season with the defense, it has also been strong defensive back play. And so I'm sure this week, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of talks being thrown around about, you know, how are we going to be better, um, in the secondary? Um, but you know, it, the defense, uh, has been really, really good and what we expected this season. And, uh, you know, with guys like Daniel Green, Austin Moore has been incredible in the linebacking core. Um, and Echo Boydo, Julius Brents, you know, those guys have just, you know, really done a wonderful job in holding teams receivers, you know, at bay and making them work for it. And, and so, you know, I expect the same this upcoming weekend as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Josh Hayes 
I said it during the game. He was getting cooked. Let's let's not let's call a spade a spade. He got cooked a little bit. I think he needed some help over the top. I think there was some schematical issues that I alluded to earlier where we're just kind of in base defense and we're seeing things that we hadn't seen on tape, obviously, because there was no tape on on green. But I mean, plays still have to be made. But in all reality, we're we're kind of talking about this defense like they got completely fried and were given up. I mean, they gave up three big plays, really. That was really the 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 whole game. I mean, we gave up take away the pick six, we gave up 19 points in non-garbage time. That's it. I mean, not even 19. Was it 19 points in non-garbage time? I mean, it's it might be less than that because they scored a touchdown real, real late. And they had gave up 19 in the first quarter, minus seven. That's 12, 16, 16 in the whole the whole first half. My math might be off a little bit, but they they really only gave up three touchdowns. And basically, that's the season average. We they did their job. Josh Hayes, once he settled in and finally got some looks that we that we were expecting to see and they settled down, it was really lights out. Josh Hayes played a great second half. VJ Payne, uh, a true freshman, stepping in there because we're going to need him because since their Mason went down, he stepped up big in the second half with some sure tackling. And Sincere Mason was the backup to Kobe Savage. So, that I mean, that hurts. But realistically, we're still two of our three safeties are still our starters. VJ Payne is going to have to step up, and I think he will. And, you know, we still have an experienced TJ Smith. And we're not even talking about the corners. You brought him up, Matt, but we haven't even brought him up. They were locked down. Echo dropped a pick, for God's sakes. Oh, my God, his first career pick, and he drops it. So they played a great game, but, you know, it could always be better. But let's not let's not jump on this defense like they like they're regressing. They really haven't. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I think lastly, special teams wise, kick returns were much better. I think with Malik Nolza, that was a lot of the conversation last week and, and prior weeks was we really haven't seen a ton of great returns. We've seen a lot of fair catches. We've seen a lot of like five, 10 yard returns, but uh, he had 98 total yards on three returns. I mean, you, you can't ask for a whole lot better other than getting, you know, taking it to the crib. But Zentner is also still perfect. He's six for six on extra points uh, and two for two on field goals. And, and frankly, with as much as Casey Legg was missing field goals, extra points, all of the above, it was really helpful to know that that we had a reliable kicker who was back there in Ty Zentner. Um, but I think, you know, there's not a ton to take away on the special team side outside of that. So I, I think my lead in topic before we, we turn it over to Braden Turner from Ain't No Seats for the KU preview is – Fireball, Matt, you kind of alluded to it earlier. I know a lot of the conversation coming into this season was this is going to be the best roster that Coach Kleiman has had in his tenure at K-State so far. So it felt almost like a win now or don't win at all type of season. And, and, you know, we're one win away from making it to Arlington. But some of the guys that we've seen step up this season, you think about Brendan Mott, you think about Will Howard, um, filling that void at quarterback when Adrian was hurt and, and filling it exceptionally well. Uh, Kobe Savage, who will be returning next season, you know, God willing. But I think we're instead of win now mode, I think, Chef, you've mentioned this a few times over the over the months that we've been doing this now. 
of you want to see K-State reach that point where it's eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins every single year. We're not, you know, eight wins every four years or, you know, 10 wins every four years. And then you have to reload and, and rebuild uh, for those those following three. This feels more like with the roster that we have in place now, we're going to lose some key parts. But I think with the way that we've played the transfer portal well, the way that the, this coaching staff has developed players super well, I think we are getting closer to that point that you talk about, Chef, of, of having, you know, more of the perennial eight, nine, 10 win seasons and being more like a team like Oklahoma State that expects that year in and year out, as opposed to, you know, you win eight games on average, maybe you have a 10 win season every four years, maybe you have a, you know, a six win season mixed in there somewhere. So kind of wanted to chat through that real quick and get y'all thoughts there. Yeah. I don't want to touch on this. Uh, um, Cause I could talk about this until the cows come home, but I want to get BT up here and talk about some KU football, but it's similar to what KU's kind of, and what they're projecting their program to be. I've heard, I've listened to some KU podcasts and they're expecting to be able to recruit the portal recruit maybe some high school kids maybe maybe just get some juco transfers in there and just keep recycling with the talent but i think k-state is proving that no doubt about it i mean our transfers are basically hitting 100 percent almost at least in the 90s high 80s and this is the best recruiting class we've had in forever since i can remember we're recruiting locally harder than ever and you know we're still repping that Kansas kid and that's still that walk on status because Brennan Mott, that, that kid and Ben Sennett, those are all, I know, I know people are tired of that walk on you kind of status that we have, but it's the truth. I mean, we find diamonds in the roughs and we develop them. Like you said, we develop them in this, this coaching staff has proven that they can do that. So I don't see why we can't be that, not necessarily upper echelon, but definitely way above average team year in, year out, fill the gaps in the transfer portal in this new era of football and just keep winning, baby. Just keep winning. Yeah. And you know what? I just kind of thinking about this, like best case scenario for us this upcoming or, you know, next year from a personnel perspective, best case scenario would be, Malik Knowles stays. Right? That ain't happening. Deuce. Deuce. Let, okay, look, Deuce is more realistic than Malik. You think so? Absolutely. D- Malik Malik has been in the program for God knows how long. He's been he's a Snyder kid, for Christ's sake. He's been here forever. He, there's no way he this is the best season he's ever had. The thing about Deuce, and I'll let you keep on your in, on your talk because I know you, I'm cutting you off. But the thing about Deuce, I know his size is not going to change, but if he was the if he were to come back, I think he's more K State than Malik Knowles is K State. You know what I'm saying? If, if that makes sense, like he, he's not going anywhere. I know I know running backs kind of have a shorter shelf life but he's a different kind of running back. He's not, if, if he makes it to the league, he's going to be a, not to put this on him anymore than he has to, but Darren Sproles, he's going to be that third down back. He's not going to be every down back. He's going to be a third down pass catching and probably play a hell of a lot more special teams in the NFL than he is now. So I think 
realistically, he's not going to have that shelf life uh, worry that he like a Bijan Robinson would, where he, another 400 carries is going to hurt him in the NFL. I think Deuce would be more likely to come back than Malik. Hmm. Now, I mean, I've been, I'm just thinking about because I agree with you, right? Like, you know, everybody has been, especially at the beginning of the season, and what we've seen from Deuce Vaughn the past handful of years, you know is he a guy that could end up coming back next year? That changes the complexion of this entire team, because if you don't have to replace Deuce Vaughn with a transfer or another freshman, that, that does change the dynamic of what we would then need in the transfer portal, what we would then need from a high school freshman perspective. Um, so I, I, we're going to hit, there are two position groups that I'm worried about for next year, wide receiver, offensive line. Those are my two, my two worries because I've seen in the years that I followed K-State, when we don't have an offensive line that's cohesive, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And by a struggle, it's six games, one in five, six, seven games. Um, we're going to have to figure something out from the offensive line perspective. And then it, I, I do agree with you. I think Malik Knowles has the very much a chance to to make it in the NFL as a kick returner, do something along those lines. Um, but he is a big loss. Cade Warner, big loss. And so we're going to need some help, I think, in the wide receiver department. Um, I'm excited. You know, it's we have three more games to go, hopefully, right? And I'm going to be excited for these three games. But let me tell you, um, next year I'm also pretty excited about that too. I, I'm in agreement. I'm, I think that we've seen enough from a lot of those younger guys this season that that next year is a lot more exciting than I than I would have originally anticipated knowing who would probably be leaving after this season and knowing who was going to be graduating. But with that, we're going to go ahead and pivot over to our KU preview. And we've got Braden Turner from the Ain't No Seats podcast from the Kansas City Sports Network, who's joining us today. Uh, Brayden, go ahead and tell the people a little bit more about you, a little bit more about Ain't No Seats and your connection to KU as an individual. Uh, first off, I just want to say I've enjoyed listening to you guys so far tonight. I think you guys do a great job, and I appreciate you guys thinking of me and having me on. Always excited to talk about sports, and I guess just a big fan of sports kind of runs my life, which is sad at sometimes kind of controls my mood and um gamble on sports a lot lose a lot of money doing that which is great but um yeah just KU just kind of starting this pod just one connection kind of leads to the other I mean having guests on and then building relationships with people Greg Gurley used to play at KU he's announcer for KU now so he's introduced me to a lot of people and grew up really close to Lawrence I've been a KU fan since I was a kid so Huge fan, huge Kansas fan, obviously, and I'm excited for this game on Saturday. Man, I think we all are. Uh, and and to go ahead and open it up, I've got a rapid fire round of questions for you. So, are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Which coach is less likely to be in the same seat two years from now, Kleiman or Leipold? Um, I don't know. That's tough. I guess I'd probably say, I guess they just locked Lance in um to a new contract extension but i feel like i honest i guess if i had to say one i'd say climbing but i feel like both coaches are very happy where they're at 
Um, Kleiman obviously has been super successful in Manhattan so far. Same with Lance. I think they both want to stay in Manhattan and Lawrence. And I think hopefully this rivalry becomes a lot better um, from a football perspective. Obviously, it's been one-sided for a long time. But I think I think both are super happy. They're great jobs. Um, and I think both fan bases are incredibly passionate fans. So I think K-State fans, I've always been super impressed of like how – much of a like family atmosphere it is and how much how passionate and how big a diehard fans you guys have so i've always given k-state fans credit for that so i think climbing's in a great spot and i think lance is too yeah with uh, some of the smoke coming out of lincoln for i think both coaches it's been interesting to follow that and i frankly don't think either coach is is going to be leaving anytime soon so i'm in i'm in agreement with you there who is the better backup quarterback jason bean or will howard I you guys sent me these before we started and I wanted to say bean just to kind of get get you guys going a little bit and get the listeners going just to get a little reaction. You should have. You should. (laughs) I think obviously Jason Bean, I think he deserves a lot more credit from our fan base. I know he was our starter last year, kept us in some games, kind of makes he could be turnover uh prone he makes big mistakes in big situations with stinks um texas tech we were down eight with the ball late and we had a chance to go tie it tcu he had a bad turnover so i think bean deserves a lot more credit from our fans he got us to bowl eligible but i think will howard's been amazing and i'm sure you guys and a lot of k-state fans can agree that probably should have been playing against texas i guess you got to give Credit to K-State staff. Adrian's a senior, and they want to give him as many chances as possible. He obviously transferred into Manhattan, and they had a lot of uh, faith in him. But I think Will Howard plays that game. They have a chance to beat Texas. I know Bijan went off in the first half, but Will Howard's been amazing. 65 completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, two turnovers. And even TCU, he's in there. K-State goes up 28-10. You guys obviously had a great chance to win that game, I think. If he stays healthy and Rubley doesn't come in, I think obviously I don't want to make you guys sad and think about that game, but you guys were dominating them. All three of your losses are honestly pretty crazy to me. You guys could be making some noise as a playoff team right now. I know maybe expanded playoff, you guys would have a chance, but I'm super high on this K-State team, not just saying that because I'm on this pod, but before the year I predicted them to make it to the Big 12 championship game. So yeah, I'd take... I'd take Will Howard over Bean, and I think Howard, I'm glad they moved on from Adrian, even though, like I said, he's a senior, but Will Howard obviously deserved it. For sure, for sure. So as far as turnarounds are concerned, obviously we're no strangers to to turnarounds here in Manhattan, but if you had to grade the more impressive short-term turnaround, would you take Jim Mora at UConn or Leipold at KU? I think I know what your answer is going to <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, I'll take Lance just because I know UConn's been terrible lately. I mean, I've bet against them multiple times. They're big-time dogs a lot of weeks. They, I mean, they had success in around 2010. So, and KU's been so bad for – I mean, they had one of the worst Power 5 stretches of all time, and they hadn't won more than three games since 2008. So, I think – or 2009, they won five – they went five and seven, but – KU hasn't won more than four games since 09, and their over-under was two and a half this year. Lance took a winless program over two years ago and already has them to bowl eligible. So I'd go with Lance just because I think KU might have had the worst power five stretch in the country. They're obviously the laughing stock of college football for a long time. So I'd go with Lance, even though Jim Moore is obviously doing a hell of a job. Like UConn's had 
winless seasons also. So, but UConn doesn't have any wins against Texas mixed into those those doldrum years. So you've <laughs> you've at least got that going for you too. Yeah, and I of course just being a fan somehow got my hopes up about an hour before kickoff last week and drove the Lawrence in twenty degree weather and probably 15, 20 mile an hour win, had my hopes up and they just kind of beat the shit out of us. So somehow we play Texas tough, but, and I got my hopes up last week, but they let me down. Well, I, uh, I had my hopes up too, and I, I took <laughs> KU to cover and we all know how that turned out. So we we're not, we're not going to talk about that any anymore. Two more questions. So the first one, what is the better bar district, Aggieville or Mass Street? Assuming you've been to both. This is another one that I wanted to get you guys going on. Um, I I can't say Aggieville because I feel like I'd get way too much shit, and I just haven't experienced it enough. I've been there, obviously, O'Malley's, Kites. I'm not sure Johnny Cause, obviously, is there. Lawrence, I guess they have more to offer than just Mass. They have the triangle and stuff, which is what got me in trouble when I went to KU for my one year and ended up leaving because I didn't go to class much, but – Okay, Lawrence has more to offer. Um, I'm actually going to be in Manhattan this weekend. So if you guys have any suggestions on what I should do or what bars I should go check out or because I've been to Manhattan many a times, I just I haven't really experienced it fully. So I would enjoy that this weekend after we probably get blown out. For sure. Well, we'll hashtag no free ads, but my favorite all time favorite bar, it's the place I got my first drink as a 21 year old is, is Annie Mae's. It's in a basement. It used to be an old speakeasy. It's in Aggieville. So it's not like downtown on points, but it's, it's a very cool spot. Uh, and it gets pretty popping on game day. So definitely recommend Annie Mae's. Mojo's is a good spot. I went to O'Malley's a lot when I was in college. So any of those you, you can't really go wrong with. Mojo's, Mojo's, <laughs> Mojo's, Rockabellies, another food good one. down on points is pretty good too. I mean, like all the little restaurants. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like if you're look, if you're getting food, I, I I'd go to points. It's less popular, yeah. lots less populated. Yeah, Bourbon and Baker's solid. The chef is solid. Planning on getting out there Friday night, so I was hoping to do something Friday night, and then we have a little tailgate with our network Saturday. If you guys wanted to stop by or anyone wanted to stop by, I think it's at like two or so and then probably stay Saturday night, come back for the chiefs game Sunday. But yeah, I'm looking for some stuff to do, maybe interact with some K state fans and hopefully make it out of Manhattan alive. Well, best of luck to you there for sure. Um, the last thing that I've got for you, and this is just a really stupid question, but I was thinking about alternate names for the sunflower showdown because I know I, I like the Sunflower Showdown. I think it's a fine name. And the Governor's Trophy is, you know, it's fine. It's a fine name for a trophy. Um, but a couple, you know, we could just get creative with it here. A couple of ideas that I have were like the Flint Hills fiasco, the clash on the caw, the free state face off, the wheat state warfare. There are a lot of different options that we can work with. But if you had to create a new name for the Sunflower Showdown, what would it be and why? Um... I actually I was looking at these when you sent sent them and I actually like the free state face off a lot. I I couldn't really come up with a name myself and I've never really thought about it like deeply like that, but I think I think free state face off is a good one. Um I'm not sure if your other two hosts have any ideas for the name, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear and I think you had some good ones obviously. I'm more of a like what kind of trophy we would be going for because you know um the Governor Cup is just so damn boring. It is a boring 
trophy. I mean, I can't, I can't look at it. I mean, it's been at, in at K State for so long that is, it gets kind of old to look at. But I mean, give me something like, I mean, the Bosco's boys had plenty of thing ideas, and you know, anything other than the Governor Cup would be. Better. I'm a fan of the ornate box turtle. I think it should be the ornate box turtle trophy, and you play for you play for the state reptile of kansas every year i think that'd be perfect what the hell no absolutely not a live trophy would be good too like something living like a uh like a like i don't know like a, a prairie dog or something <laughs> that would be kind of cool i can't <laughs> a prairie dog oh man and here's the thing i'm the least creative person so i laugh but i can't i have nothing to laugh about because i can't come up with anything better well that's okay that's okay it was a stupid question i just wanted to see if we could get some conversation going off of it but we've got plenty to talk through i think let's let's go ahead and dive into ku preview so um matt do you want to take us away with uh, your first question absolutely um well Braden, thanks for joining and uh you know ku for the first time since 2008 happens to be my freshman year at k-state is bowl eligible which is Exciting. Um, and admittingly, I think for both of our fan bases, it's nice to know that now Nebraska has the longest active bowl droughts. Um, so just thinking about the kind of the turnaround that KU has had from, you know, some really difficult seasons the past however many years to literally having college game day in Lawrence for the TCU game. You know, you've covered the team for a long time. Just Knowing how things were before Lance Leipold came um, as head coach, how impressive of a job has he done in Lauren? Yeah, it's been incredible, and I couldn't be more impressed, honestly. Like I said earlier, he took over a winless program two years ago, um, Les Miles. They weren't competitive at all that year. Les, as you guys obviously know, probably wasn't all there. Um, so that was a nightmare. Um, and then last year, they lose to Iowa State by 50-plus in Ames. They lose in Stillwater by 50-plus. Iowa State obviously lost a lot. They lost Purdy, Brees Hall, Kolar, and a lot of guys. Um, but they end up beating them in Lawrence after losing by 50 last year. And then Oklahoma State and Lawrence, which they had a freshman playing instead of Spencer Sanders. But those are two programs you lose by a combined like 110 last year, and they find ways to win. This year, they've been super competitive. They were competitive to end last year. Um, they obviously beat Texas. They're competitive in Fort Worth. They lost by a field goal and then West Virginia at home. So they're competitive in, in the year. They were good in the portal. They brought in guys from Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan State, schools like that. So, And they were competitive all year this year. Even Texas Tech they and OU, they lose by two scores, obviously. But the games were tight. The offense looked good. And then last week was obviously a blowout, which – has me feeling weird about Saturday. I was feeling a lot more confident after the Oklahoma State game when they did go bowling. Um, but, yeah, it's incredible. Like I said, winless two years ago, he takes over the program, and he hasn't even been here for two years. They start 5-0 and this year, college game day in town. They are ranked. They had a very good chance to beat TCU, TCU at home. They were tied with four minutes left. Um, and as you guys know, TCU just randomly finds ways to win games this year. Kind of drives me nuts, and they knock out two or more quarterbacks every week. But, yeah, they've been competitive. I couldn't be more impressed. Obviously, I'm pumped they locked him up, and hopefully he's here to stay for a long time. Yeah, well, and one of those – and you brought up the TCU game. And one of those quarterbacks that TCU 
just so happened coincidentally every week knocks out one of your quarterbacks, and that was uh, Jalen Daniels. He was on a complete tear at the beginning of the season. Heisman, I mean, he was in the Heisman talk, and he was leading y'all to undefeated 5-0. and But then Bean comes in. We saw him a lot last year, but he, he even took a step this year. It seems like he's always seemingly close to 300 yards, 250 three touchdowns, maybe, like you said earlier, those crucial interceptions and and turnovers hurt you. But what have you seen from the quarterback position this year that that's leaving you impressed? And what, what can you expect in the future? And just talk about the quarterbacks. Yeah, I think, obviously, J.D., like you said, to start the year was incredible. He made every big throw possible. He was really good on his feet, um, moving the chains at Houston. At West Virginia, they were down two scores to start the game very quickly. I know West Virginia, they were down 14 three different times in the first half. And J.D. just made every play. He's been super clutch. He was really good at Houston. And then, yeah, they were 5-0. and He gets hurt. I They probably don't beat TCU. If he's healthy, he wasn't very good in the first half. And I think Bean, like I said earlier, he deserves more credit for even that game alone. He was great in the second half through four touchdowns. But, yeah, like you said, Bean has taken a step forward. Um, he took a lot of heat last year, got a lot of criticism. I think he's been really good. We've been tough on him, and I think it's – because like you said, KU hasn't went once since 08, and we're finally competitive in these games. It just makes you want to win them even more. So when Bean turns it over in big-time spots, it just hurts when you put yourself in a spot to win. But, yeah, J.D., I think he could be – he was rusty last week coming back against Texas. Um, A lot of throws sailed on him, but I think it was good for him to get some extra reps in for Saturday. I'm not saying they're going to go into Manhattan and – beat K-State, I don't think that at all. But I think just him getting some extra reps on Saturday against Texas was huge, getting him back into the rhythm of things. So I've been – I mean, it's, it exceeded expectations, I guess I'll say, from the QB play this year. I knew our whole staff and KU fans were super excited about the future with JD because you saw him at the end of the year. But like you said, he was in Heisman talks. He made every big play imaginable, and Bean took an, uh, the next step too, like you said. Well, I want to follow up real quick on that. I mean, just get, I know you're an insider with this KU, man. I, I know you're, you're big time. What's the health status of him? Because like you said, J.D. was a little rusty. He looked a little off. He didn't have the zip on his throws, and he definitely wasn't running nearly as much. I know he took that crucial shoulder injury, but what's the health status? And I even heard that Bean was a little banged. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how much you guys watched that Texas game. I know if we would have won, you guys would have clinched. But, yeah, J.D. looked terrified to run it. Um, so he's probably still a little banged up. I personally thought they might have brought him back a week too early just because Bean, I thought, had been solid. I think we don't have a ton to play for right now. Obviously, you want to hang in these games and beat these big-time programs. You want to beat K-State. But we really don't have a ton to play for. Like, we're 6-5. and five. You win another game. It's not like – like we talked about this on the pod, you go seven and five. What's really the difference? Obviously, it's one more win, but maybe you go to a little better of a bowl game. But it's not like you're competing for a big time bowl game like K State in the Sugar Bowl. So I think maybe they might have rushed him back a week too soon. Um, and he did. He looked scared on Saturday. He, K Texas won the toss. They got the ball. We stopped them. JD missed Quentin Skinner wide open. I, KU would have went up seven zero to start the game, and the game could have been completely different if he makes that throw. But yeah, I Bean's a little banged up. I think JD's obviously banged up. And I think this time of the year, just 
so many guys are banged up. You guys know how it is with football. So not too sure. Like, I don't know how healthy JD is. I don't know how healthy Bean is, but hopefully the extra reps um, on Saturday against Texas will at least make KU competitive in Manhattan Saturday. Well, you mentioned Quentin Skinner. I think we, we, we could spend a lot of time talking about Daniels and Bean, but some of the other offensive difference makers, I, I'd love to hear your take on some of the other guys that you think maybe flying under the radar or some of the other guys that we should be looking out for. Because you think about Quentin Skinner and Luke Grimm, we know Devin Neal and Kai Thomas from the recruiting trail, but who are some of the other names that we should be looking for? And, and then I've got a follow up uh, after after you talk through this one. Um, yeah, obviously you mentioned some of the main guys. Devin Neal has been unbelievable this year. He's getting six six point five a pop on the ground, which is crazy because our offensive line really struggled last year. So the strides of the O line have been incredible. Um you mentioned Luke Grimm. He's been security blanket for honestly both quarterbacks on third downs, just moving the chains. He's he goes up and makes contested catches, even though he's not the tallest guy. He has really good hands. Um I know I think against Oklahoma City, he had eight catches on eight targets. So he's been really good for us. Quentin Skinner can stretch the field. He's averaging 17 yards a catch. Um, and then Lawrence Arnold, the leading receiver for KU, I think he's been he's been so good for us, and no one really talks about it just because I think they've spread it out a good amount. Everyone, decent amount of mouths to feed. And Lawrence Arnold was a dude in the portal that literally tweeted that he's leaving. Like Lawrence Arnold was gone. That was our leading uh, receiver last year after we lost a good amount of receivers um, just due to being seniors and stuff. And Lawrence Arnold was gone. And I'm pretty sure Kenny Logan and some of the guys had a talk with him. And luckily they brought him back. Or I think this receiving core would be very sketchy. I know we had two receivers get in trouble before the year. So Lawrence Arnold has been as good as advertised. He's been really good for this team and, I think those three receivers right there, Mason Fairchild's been good at tight end. He's made some really big clutch catches for KU this year. And then, yeah, Devin Neal, 6.5 a carry. I think Kai, um, he's he's definitely dealt with injuries this year that haven't hasn't really got out. But Savion Morrison, they got him from Nebraska. I think he's a little banged up. He's the third string running back. So decent amount of weapons. I don't think they're world beaters at all. I think K-State has some for sure, which I'm excited to talk about K-State. Um, with you guys at some point on here just because I really like their team a shit ton. So yeah, those I'd say those guys right there. So one one real quick follow-up. You you talk about a lot of the weapons, but one one stat that I think is kind of flying under the radar is your offensive line has been really, really solid this year with only eight sacks allowed. And that leads the Big 12 in the fewest number of sacks allowed by a team. And and meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, you've got K-State that's leading the Big 12 in sacks. So maybe tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on the offensive line and, and what has been the key to them protecting uh, Daniels and Bean for the most part as well as they can unless TCU's getting a hold of uh, the quarterback there. Yeah, and that O-line, D-line matchup is super intriguing for Saturday because those stats you just said, obviously K-State's defensive line is really good. Um, but it's kind of crazy. We Brandon McAnderson came on our podcast, former KU running back. He was on the Orange Bowl team. Um, he's the sideline reporter for KU right now. He, he mentioned how KU is really – KU's O-line has been really good against the elite pass rushers in the Big 12. Tyree Wilson obviously going to be a first-rounder in the draft. I guess he did get hurt against KU, so – not sure if that will affect Will McDonald for Iowa State. He's had double-digit sacks the past few years. He has like five or six this year. So 
O-line's been great. Earl Bostic, um, the left tackle, he's a senior. Mike Nowitzki, the Buffalo transfer, who's one of the best centers in the country. And O-line's just been, yeah, super solid. The first three or four games, they didn't allow a sack at all. And I think the first one of the year they gave up was a sack that was kind of on JD. So the O-line's been good, especially against um, the main, the premier pass rushers in the Big 12. And obviously we're going against another one this weekend in Felix, who is unreal. His motor's crazy. I love watching him play. He has a great chance to be a first rounder in April and hopefully a Kansas City Chief. But their O-line's really good. I heard you guys talking about Brennan Mott. He had three sacks in Morgantown last week. So um, in Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. But hopefully our O-line can uh, keep doing what they're doing and keep those guys in check. But obviously Felix and those guys are game breakers on the defensive line for K-State. All right. That now, Braden, this is where it gets real because we're gonna have to switch sides of the ball. And I know, I know <laughs> KU's been struggling, but is it, it? We, I in the outline, we have it written that uh, is it Kobe Bryant? He He's not hurt, he was playing last week, wasn't he? Yeah, so he got, yeah, hurt. he's he got hurt he's, in the Oklahoma. Oh, game, shoot, he's back really in then, huh? Yeah, yeah, he's Damn. back. Okay, because I, I saw it him was getting ugly. stretchered off in that Oklahoma game, and I'm like, that. Yeah, that it was ugly. I thought he for a while. There was. I thought he snapped his stuff in that way in that game, but they kind of like made him walk on it, and I was like, well, maybe it's not as bad. But if he he's back full healthy, but I mean, still the defense is kind of struggling. Can you explain what's happening? Because at the beginning of the year, I mean. Tennessee Tech, I know they're not that good, but, I mean, you still showed some lights, and you had all the transfers basically to that side of the ball. What's, what's happening on that side? Yeah, they're just getting gassed on the ground right now, and that's why I think this Saturday is just an absolute nightmare matchup for KU, and I've felt that way for a month or so now, just kind of circling. Just obviously, I mean, you your fans probably do it too, just looking forward on the schedule when you have a chance to make a bowl game or maybe – compete for a big 12 championship you're just looking ahead um to who you play at the end of the year and your future opponents and i see texas and k-state the last two games of the year and obviously texas is they have Bijan, who's a freak you guys saw that obviously in manhattan but Bijan, and they have one of the best defenses in the big 12 and so do you guys and you have deuce and um dj giddens and you guys are really good in the trenches so i think these last two weeks are just nightmare matchups for us, and they've been getting killed on the ground. Texas Tech, they missed – we missed so many tackles, it's unbelievable. Oklahoma had 700 on the ground. Eric Gray, their running back, had felt like 700 rushing yards himself. He was getting like 10 a pop on the ground, so they're getting killed on the ground right now. And Will Howard with his arm right now, like K-State, I guess you could try to stack the box all you want against Deuce and Giddens, but – Will Howard's going to beat you with his arms, so I hate the matchup Saturday. And, yeah, the defense, they added a bunch of guys, like you said, in the portal, but they haven't been very good. The beginning of the year, they really weren't that good. They were bend, don't break, but they were getting key stops was the thing. They would get stops when KU was down 14. We'd get the ball back score. They'd string together stops randomly, but defense, very disappointed because the in the transfer portal, I thought they killed it. I had a lot of hopes for that side of the ball, but – Man, they killed us against Texas and then Texas Tech. Obviously, Baylor, they're down 28-3 at half, so the defense has struggled to get stops lately, and they're just getting killed on the ground, which K-State's O-linemen, I'm sure, are almost licking their chops on for Saturday. 
Well, just thinking about it from the KU perspective, you are writing out the game plan for the Jayhawks to come to Manhattan and pull off an upset. What are a few keys to victory that you'd be writing down? I think for one, they have to come out and start quick for once. It's been insane how bad they've been on the road. Um, just coming out of the locker room in Westford, in Morgantown, they're down 14-0 to start the game. And then they go to Houston, they're down 14-0 to start the game. And then Baylor, they're down 28-3 at halftime. Oklahoma, they're down 35-14. Um, so just getting out to a quick start somehow. And as a fan, you can kind of talk yourself into anything. So in my head, I think the thing I'm talking myself into is K-State potentially maybe playing a little tight. I know that sounds crazy because they're obviously the better team, but Texas wins on Friday. They obviously have to win to make it to Arlington. So maybe KU or K-State comes out a little tight. KU's a dog. They don't – they really have nothing to lose on Saturday. So I guess if they could come out fast, maybe punch K-State in the mouth a little bit um, and K-State could play tight somehow, I don't know. I don't feel good about the game. I think K-State's obviously going to take it personally. It's an in-state rivalry, so – I don't feel good, but I guess just starting quick on the road for the first time all year would be awesome. Even go up three to zero. Well, we'll see if that happens. And I will say, you know, we're we're gonna get to predictions here in a minute. And I think you're you're kind of getting off the hook. We don't have a ton of guys in the <laughs> guys or gals in the live room, so uh, we'll we'll probably skip over that uh, Q and A with the live room unless any of these other guys have have questions for you. But um, Hit us with your final score prediction and go ahead and feel free to plug whatever you want. I know you're on uh, Ain't No Seats Pod with with KCSN, but uh, hit us with your prediction. Let us know where the people can find you, and then we'll uh, we'll go around the horn here with our own predictions. Yeah, so last night our, on our pod, I said 38-17 K-State, and I honestly felt like 38 wasn't generous enough. I think K-State doesn't get – their offense doesn't get enough credit – I talked about obvious. I mean, you guys know your weapons: Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, Warner, Sennett. They Knowles is electric with the ball in his hands. I think thirty-eight might be too little. I think this offense is way more explosive than they get credit for. I feel like K State's kind of known as a team with really good defense and they run the ball on you. But I think this offense is super explosive, um, and I think I think they'll put up forty plus. I think it's going to be forty-two. I'd go forty-two twenty-one. I'll give KU three touchdowns. And I think I think the line is crazy. I think it should be fourteen or more. And I just I think it's a terrible matchup for KU. Hey, I mean, I've I've gone with the reverse jinx the last few weeks. So uh I'm I'm probably gonna go ahead and take KU thirty-one to twenty-eight because I'm I'm two for two on the reverse jinx the last couple of weeks. So We'll see what happens there. Braden, thanks again for, for hopping on today. Uh, go ahead and plug your stuff. Uh, ain't no seats and, and then whatever else you got going on. Yeah. So Twitter, um, our podcast is ain't no seats pod on Twitter. I'm not sure any of the K state listeners will go follow, but if there's any KU people in here, that'd be great. Um, my Twitter's B Turner two, three. So if you guys want to see the hot takes, throw me a follow. And I really, I like I said, I listened to you guys before I hopped on. I think you guys are great. Never listened before, but I think you guys did a great job. And obviously, I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and having me. Man, on. we we appreciate having you on, and uh, we'll we'll be we'll be in touch during uh, Chiefs football seasons because I'll, I'll be following basketball you primarily season. for the Chiefs takes. I'm I'm ready for basketball season. I know we're losing right now, but I mean. 
God damn it, I'm excited about K-State basketball. <laughs> and I know KU is – I just watched them while I was at work. And damn, who was the – was Jaden Wilson on the team last year? Yeah, yeah, so Jalen was – he was probably – Jalen. No, yeah, you're getting – um, he was probably the fourth leading scorer. He kind of – he started the year off slow. He got in trouble off the court and kind of was pressing a lot. Um but yeah, he ended up. He was really good for KU in the tournament. So yeah, he man, averaging twenty four and ten right now, which is crazy. That, just himself, just he's that, unbelievable at developing talent. That dude's legs are out of fucking control, man. I was like, <laughs> this, this dude is insane. But yeah, he's. I, I'm excited for basketball. I'm glad that you came on the pod, and you've got a big following. I appreciate you even coming on here and taking us. Uh, our our k-state wazoos for uh for any seriousness at all yeah absolutely and if you guys are in manhattan this weekend or whenever if you guys want me to come on again somehow i'd always be down and i think you guys got a great one in jerome tang i've said that for a while now he can recruit he obviously was under scott drew they had a lot of success there so i think k-state's gonna be awesome i think keontae keontae was a huge pickup um and then Marquise Noel is electric, dude. I love watching him play basketball. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you guys, honestly. Well, shoot. I uh, I know that we, me and Chef, haven't given predictions yet. But, Brayden, I honestly, I want to ask a basketball question, if it's okay with the Do group. Do it. But, Hell yeah. I mean, what thinking about this KU team this year, and I know it's early, but comparing it to last season's team, is this a team that, you think has the capability not just to win the big 12, but thinking like final four, I mean, just based off of what you've seen this. Yeah, I think, I think they definitely have a shot to go on a run again. I mean, they have, they have two elite scores right now in Grady and Jalen Wilson. And then I personally, I'm biased and I love Dewan to death, but I think he's, I think he's maybe the best defender in the country. And then they got Kevin McCuller from tech who can guard too. So I think they have the elite scores and then they have a chance to be really good defensively. Um, our freshman bigs are struggling right now, which is weird because you guys have watched KU basketball. Bill loves to go in his bigs. He force fed Dave McCormick all last year and it somehow ended up working. So it's weird not playing through bigs and having guards um, go for you. But yeah, I think they have a great chance. I think they could be pretty good defensively. And I think these freshmen have a good, um, I think they will be, ready to go in a month or so, maybe by league play or something. Yeah, it's terrifying to think of KU with small ball style. Like, when they had the bigs, like, if you got them in trouble, like, it kind of, like, evened it out a little bit and gave you a chance. But now that you guys have gone small ball, that Grady Dick, dude, I mean, what? Uh, like, you look at him, and I would never guess that he is, like, he's going to drop 30 and 10 on you, like, at any given moment. That dude can play. Jalen Wilson is a grown ass man, and you know the the point guard Harris. He's been there for a million years, and he pisses me off. So, like, just thinking about this team, like, there's no reason this team with the small ball and the way basketball is played now. I mean, the refs with the touch fouls. There's no reason that this team can't be even better than the team last year. And you guys won it last year. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully they go on another run. If not, I guess they want a natty, so I can't be too upset. But they have a good chance, and it's crazy. I mean, most teams would win a national championship and lose a lot, and 
not be good the next year, but Bill Self somehow just manages to do it every year, and it still shocks me. Have you have you looked into K State basketball this year? Um, yeah. Other than Marquise, I mean, obviously, Mark, and you know, you knew of Keontae, but I think kind of everybody knew about Keontae because of the story with him. But like, have you looked at this roster? Because I mean, from what I've seen, we kind of knew what they had on not necessarily on paper, just looking at their heights and weights and stuff like that, but just the way they play. And if you haven't heard of Naquan Tomlin, I think like that's a guy that you might want to look into. Yeah, I haven't. I've got to watch the first half against Cal, which they were kicking the shit out of Cal. And then supposedly someone told me the game got tight, which I wasn't even aware of, but I watched the first half of that. I've watched Keontae and Noel, Obviously, I haven't seen much other than that, though. I just know you guys are obviously in good hands with Jerome Tang and dude can recruit. His energy is infectious. I love like I love hearing him talk and he just seems like the most positive, happy human in the world. So K-State is in great hands right now in both sports. I think the biggest thing for me is I, I want the basketball rivalry to get better on our side <laughs> because at the end of the day, I mean, uh, the biggest thing that we've been missing the past few years, except for obviously the one game in Manhattan last year, has been competitiveness in the game. And, um, you know, I, based off the makeup of what we've seen from our team this season, this is going to be a little bit of a different team than what we've seen in the past. But um, I'm, I know the, the game on January 17th, I think it is, it's a Tuesday in, in, in Bramlage, I I'm excited. I'm excited for that one early in the Big 12. Yeah, and I think I think K-State has a ch- obviously has a chance to run with KU this year because I think there's going to be nights where KU struggles to score. Jalen hasn't been – Jalen's scoring. Jalen Wilson's scoring, but he's struggling to make jumpers. Um, Grady Dick's obviously a freshman. There's been games where he kind of disappeared, like Duke. He had like five points with two minutes to go and then scored seven straight for KU. So I think there's going to be nights we struggle and – K-State always plays us tough in Bramlage. It's always an amazing environment. I think, I mean, just interviewing guys on our pod, talking about Bramlage and that atmosphere, it's when it's when it's full and it's as good as anywhere in the Big 12, honestly, and I love going to those games. And so, yeah, I think you guys easily have a chance to beat us in Manhattan this year. Praise the Lord. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> see about that. I don't know, but, you know. Dude, I, it's been a it's been awesome to have you on the KU perspective. I know we were kind of scrambling to get somebody on, but I'm glad we landed on you and and had you on the pod because I mean it's been a blast. Hell yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And like I said, I really appreciate it. And I just want this game Saturday to be competitive at all. Like I said, come out, maybe come out fast somehow. Maybe K State, like just as a KU fan, my only hope is KU K State plays a little tight with a Big Twelve championship game appearance in their hands with a win. But crazy thing is you guys can clinch it on Friday. So right. Texas loses to a Baylor team. I don't know. I'm almost – I'm going to feel – I've kind of said for a while now, if K-State has the Big 12 title game appearance locked up, I think we're going to get the shit kicked out of us even more because I think K-State comes out loose, free. They have nothing to lose because you guys obviously still have a chance at the Sugar Bowl even with a loss. So – I think if you guys clinch it on Friday, it could get ugly, even more ugly for KU Saturday. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Texas is kind of on fire and they're steamrolling, and I'm absolutely fucking nervous for this game. 
it is I've been trying to relieve my stress somehow for this KU game and it just doesn't seem to be going my way but I'm still very confident in this team and my projection my prediction for this game is 41-24 I think KU's defense is absolutely wretched but their offense is – I mean, you guys' offense is spooky. I mean, Devin Neal, I wanted him to go to K-State so bad, and he can tote the rock. He can do everything. He's He looks like a running back that you, you just put right off the bus and he'll scare the shit out of you. I got it 41-24. I think you guys are going to score some points, and it's, it's going to get – I mean, hopefully it's not tight. And hopefully you guys make some late touchdowns and get my prediction in there. But I'm I'm not confident that it's going to be that way. I think it's going to be tight, and we might have to score a late touchdown to get it that way. But I'm going to be a nervous freaking wreck at eight o'clock. Yeah, I I just I really think you guys have a great chance in Arlington too. So if it's, if this was KU, I'd be shitting bricks because I think you guys have a legit legit chance to beat. TCU um, in Arlington, obviously, it was 28-10 in Fort Worth. So I wonder what that spread will be if that ends up being the game. I think Case, I think it could almost be a pick em. I think K-State's that good right now. Their offense is explosive. Defense is really good. And I think there's been weeks where TCU offense hasn't looked great. I think um, Brock Heward was talking about how if you take Max Duggan's first progression away, he kind of struggles and I think K-State can easily beat them in Arlington, and they probably should have in Fort Worth earlier this year. I will say that if if we come out healthy and the reports out of TCU with uh, Miller being a little banged up, Quentin Johnson's obviously been uh, – he's been fighting injuries basically all season, and the Davis kids still hurt. Uh, if we win big or whatever, we're comfortable in our win – versus KU, I think we'll probably be about two-point, three-point do- uh, three favorites going into Arlington. That's my prediction and my projection of that game, if, if it were to be on a neutral site. I would take that. Um, uh, so just uh, my prediction, um, I'm thinking 41-28, Cats. Um, now, I will preface with this. I have heard that the weather – may not necessarily be the best on Saturday. Might be some rain, cold and rain. If that's the case, I'm going to I would probably lower the prediction to be maybe like a 31 to 14 scenario, 31-17, but I do think the Cats, you know, it, it will be comfortable. Um I have been nervous this week. Chef probably were both sick because we're just so stressed about this game, you're you know. Not, just not you're, feeling great. My immune system is like <laughs> Please just stop being so fucking nervous so you can get healthy. But <laughs> I, I, I am not. I can't. I'm literally – I'm about to down some NyQuil, and hopefully that helps. But I think my nerves are shot, and it's yeah. killing me. And and I think a lot of it – like, Braden, I know your confidence level isn't super high with this game. Um, but, you know, and mainly from the K-State perspective, we haven't necessarily been in this situation in many years um, with the – potential to to go to the big 12 championship and and have a chance to play TCU again and there's there's a lot of things that you know we've seen in my past K-State fandom where in a game like this we sometimes shit the bed in the beginning and so I'm always nervous especially against KU and um you know 
I obviously hope it is an exciting game for the K-State perspective and it isn't close, but who knows? Yeah, and if if it is raining on Saturday, that just makes everything – that makes me feel even worse because, Kate, like I said, K-State in the trenches, you got Deuce, Giddens, um, and then a lot of – I think your guys' receivers are super underrated, Brooks and Knowles. Obviously, you got Sinnott um, and Kate Warner. So if it's raining, I think K-State might rush for five, 600 yards. That would be that would be insane <laughs> if we ran for five or six hundred yards. Uh, I don't think we've seen that all season, but it, or I, I don't know when the last time we would have rushed for five or six hundred yards would have been. But um, man, so I, I think I mean Darren that rounds Scrolls it out for. Go ahead. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> when Darren Scrolls had a thousand yards against OU at Arrowhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's a throwback. That is such a great throwback. Um, but I think that rounds it out for our predictions. Again, Braden, thanks a ton for coming on today. We're going to go over to our locks segment, which is just where we talk about some some betting tips that we're taking for the week. Um, so feel free to contribute if you've got some uh, some tips that you're you're willing to throw down there. But um, man, last week was a just absolute bloodbath for me. I feel like I'm saying that every week at this point, but. Um, Last week, I was one for five. I missed on everything except for Tech at Iowa State. I took Tech plus three and a half, and that one hit. This week, I'm going with, in the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss, minus two and a half at home. The only thing that scares me is there's a bunch of chatter about Lane Kiffin. I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to leave for Auburn. That sounds absolutely senile and seems like a fairly lateral move, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, But I'm taking Ole Miss, minus two and a half. Baylor at Texas. I'm hitting the over there. Taking over 55 and a half on that one. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think Baylor, you know, Texas is firing on all cylinders, but Texas hit that last week with the 55 and a half almost single-handedly. So I'm I'm hoping that Texas and, and Baylor is going to be a shootout. I hope that Baylor pulls out the victory there, but uh, going over 55 and a half on that one. Next, I've got Tulane at Cincinnati. I'm taking Tulane plus two and a half. Cincinnati's been very up and down this season and they've they've not been very good against the, the spread from everything that I've gathered. Um, there have been a couple games where they've been favored by like even 20 points and they've not even come close to covering those. So I'm taking two lane. Last week was kind of a fluky game for Cincinnati where they played a crummy team in Temple, I think. So going with two lane, going with Iowa State at TCU. I'm taking the under. I mean, Iowa State's hit the under almost every single game this season, and I don't care that they're playing TCU. And the under is 47 and a half. So I'm, I'm going to take the under there. And then finally, the last two, I've got OU at Tech. I'm taking Tech plus two and a half. They've been great for me this year against the spread. So I'm taking Tech. And then finally, the Sunflower Showdown. I went ahead and bought an alternate spread on this one because I don't think K-State's going to cover the 10 and a half or 12 and a half that I'm seeing on some of the betting sites right now. So I did a two and a half point alternate spread and I'm throwing that into my parlay just to, you know, get a little bit higher odds for, for some of these. But those are my locks for the week. It's basically been anything but locks lately. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Fireball Matt, who does so much better than I do on these. <laughs> Don't don't make me blush. Um, well, last week I went two for two. I lost the TCU spread as well as UCLA. Um, not they're not covering that two and a half. This week I also have Ole Miss 
two and a half against Mississippi State in what should be a very fun Egg Bowl. That game is always a blast to watch. And uh, I will disagree. You know what? The lane chatter, I could totally see him making the move to go to Auburn, 100%. Yeah, that shit's a done deal. I don't know why. That's a done deal. He's going to Auburn. And I think it's absolutely insane. This could be even a completely different discussion, but for what Auburn has done with their coaches, I don't see how that is a fun, yeah, let's go here type move. I don't. Like, you keep winning at Ole Miss, nobody's going to be clamoring for your ass to get fired if, you know, you're six and six one year, but then you make it 10 and, you know, you're 10 and two. So I don't know. That's my point. That's why I don't understand it. I feel like if Lane Kiffin is going to go anywhere, he would go to the place where he has a history and that's Nebraska and they'll pay him out the ass and his family has a ton of ties there. I think if he were to go anywhere, he's got this thing going at Ole Miss. It's a really solid place for him to be right now. He's turned that program around. I would just stay there where your your fans are happy with what you're doing there. If you go to Auburn and you have lackluster two seasons, you're out immediately. Dude, does anything about Lane Kiffin's career scream, oh, he's going to do the thing that makes the most sense? Also, no. <laughs> yeah, you, you've, got, yeah. you've got that right. <laughs> Auburn is where he's going because they're going to throw the money at him. That's what, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about Nebraska. I didn't know he had ties there. That would make sense to me, but you know what else makes this makes sense to me? Lane Kiffing not making it. Yeah. Sense. So that's, that's kind of what we're mine. Honestly, at. and really Lane Kiffin, if Nick Saban retires, I think Alabama, he would be the one of the first coaches they would call. Do you I mean, think they I would honestly, take him over Dabo? I think, you know, I will bet that they are the first two coaches they would call. Um, I think if you look at Lane, the fact that he's already had success in the SEC is helpful. He's already in that same recruiting kind of area. Um so, I, I mean, I think they would be the two that they would call when Saban retires. But this is too much Lane Kiffin talk. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, Ole Miss minus two and a half. Um, I did an alternate spread for TCU at minus 13 and a half. I think they're going to annihilate Iowa State. Um, on Saturday, Washington State and the Apple Cup plus two. And then Baylor, I took Baylor plus eight and a half, but – Honestly, I would probably do Baylor money line. I I have a feeling Baylor's going to put one together this weekend and beat Texas, which would be huge. This is probably going to be the first week where I disagree wholeheartedly with Matt. Matt, I don't see any chance that Baylor does anything with Texas. They are heartbroken. They got their their that was their game, and they lost it in the worst way possible. And Texas is rolling. They finally figured out that if you hand the ball to Bijan, good things happen, and it's about to be bad for Baylor. And also, freaking TCU, I, I agree with Bob. I mean, the under makes sense. TCU is hurt 
and they're falling apart. All their health luck is falling apart in the worst possible time. And Iowa State stingy defense. I don't know, dude. I it could get. I think it could be low scoring again and be another tight game for TCU. Damn. You know, this could be good for me, though, because every week you've said all my picks are good and I haven't been perfect. So maybe this is the week I got to put up. I got to put up. Maybe this is a week I got to put, you know, a thousand dollars on this parlay and then be raking in the millions or what. I mean, I, I'm oh, usually the 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 deal breaker and everything I say is the opposite. So you might be right. Well, I mean, with that, the Cats just took the lead on LSU. I think we're all wanting to watch this game with with seven minutes left. But we're going to skip guys talking ball for this week. Uh, it's obviously Thanksgiving, and I think we've all got got stuff we want to do. But for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room, granted there's nobody here right now. Uh, so to you, Chef, I am very thankful for you for starting this thing up with me. Fireball Matt, it's been awesome to, to have you on here as well. Uh, and, you know, we go back way, way, way back. So it's been awesome to, to have you on here and, and being able to talk ball with both of us. But um, for everybody in the live room, the podcast feed, wherever the hell you're listening to this thing, um, it's been awesome to uh, to get this thing up and going. But next week, you know, we might be playing for for Big 12 championship next week. So I've reached out to our to our friend Parker. We'll see if that Stats of War is going to be joining us next week or not. But We'll get there when we get there. We've got to focus on on Saturday and in, in the KU game. But give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever the hell you get your podcasts. Be notified when we drop new episodes. Leave us a review with your feedback. If you're on Twitter, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I'm at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef, take us out. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Fuck KU. Fuck KU. Fuck KU.